Welcome to Sellersburg United Methodist Church Podcast, where we bring our mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world to you, wherever you are. continue in the parables that come to us through the gospel account we call Matthew. So we're in chapter 13 and we spent last week going through a parable and we're going to continue today and to remind you that parables are a a teaching method that have been used long since before the writing of the gospel account we call Matthew and it was utilized by prophets, it was utilized all the way through our scripture and, and, and even beyond the people, the Hebrew people, even beyond Israel and is used all around us today. We, we hear these kinds of methods of teaching that invite us to do more than simply receive information, memorize it, and then regurgitate it. The parables instead invite us to struggle with it. It's a story. And the story can't just be quickly defined and determined that then gives us the answer we seek. And as Western thinkers, we ob- Honestly, we just want the answer, right? We just want to know what we are supposed to know so that then we can know it. And Jesus isn't interested in that kind of thinking. Rather, what we get through the parables are stories that we can carry with us and continue to tell in our minds, to, to revisit, to unpack, to notice details, to share in conversation, because often when we share in conversation with others, we experience details that we overlooked. And that happens even more so when we connect with people that aren't from our way of life, that don't look like us, that aren't from our country, that don't speak our language. When we engage with people around the world on the parables, it's amazing what kinds of things you suddenly find yourself noticing that you hadn't before. And the parable continues to work in these conversations, in our struggle, to continue to kind of work through the back door of our hearts and minds. See, what happens, friends, is that we often think we know what there is to know, right? I mean, rarely do we go seeking after honest new ways to consider life, to consider our world, to consider our faith, our relationships. Many times we just seek after voices that just tell us what it is we think we already know. And if we have people affirming us, then we can feel secure. And we don't have to learn something new and invest in new opportunities. We don't have to hear the voices of those who maybe oppose or differ from us or who invite us in an entirely new way. And so I invite you to approach this time with some open hearts, to hear the parables as Jesus offers them. In the same way that Jesus' audience came with their expectations, came with their preconceived notions, they were invited, those with ears to hear, to hear. Meaning that we set those preconceived notions down. Let the story work within you. Let it not even get mixed in with your preconceived notions. Just consider the story and all that it has to say and let it pique your imagination, and before you know it, 
it will invite you into a new way to see things that you find familiar, your faith, the kingdom, Jesus, the church, yourself. And suddenly, without even knowing it, parables can significantly change you and grow you in ways you can't imagine. But they do so in this really wonderfully mysterious way. So I hope you're excited as we get into the next parable. Uh, If you came to hear what you want Jesus to say that you think you already know, you're going to walk away from the experience of parables confused. Just like people that came to Jesus in Jesus' day that wanted Jesus to say what they expected Jesus to say, they often found themselves more confused. Uh, The parables, they say, can either reveal or conceal. And so if you're here with your own expectation, the meaning is going to be concealed, not because God doesn't want you to see, but because you won't even allow God to show you. Whereas if you come honestly seeking after what Jesus might have to say to you, what the Holy Spirit might be ready to open your eyes and hearts to in your world, no matter the consequence, no matter the disruption, well, then you might just hear something fresh and new from God this day. So, a couple of notes before we approach this, just to give you a background on the parable that we're going to talk about today. The people of Jesus' day had a majority view of of the whole story from beginning to end. In the beginning, God created everything. People messed it up. We rebelled. We wanted our own way. And then it's just this story that we find again and again in the story of Israel and in the story of our own day of people saying no to God and yes to their own ways or more a more familiar way to say it is taking what they think is right and simply finding a way to make God kind of fit into that so they could say, hey, look, what we're doing is really what God wants us to do when in fact it, it wasn't. Uh, and they just keep kind of pushing themselves further away and not realizing it. So their expectation for the great story that God was leading through this redemption of all the mess was that God would send a king and that God would put everything back to right as it was intended to be and was in the very beginning, we find in the very end of our scripture in Revelation, the story of the new creation, where everything is as it's supposed to be. And we're here in the middle. And so the way that the Jesus crowd would have pictured that final day coming, that final day of that current age to to prepare things for the new age, they would thought the king was going to come and instantly rid their nation, their country of all non-Israelites, to destroy or defeat or just to cast out all foreign enemies because Rome was occupying them and and they'd been occupied throughout the whole story. But they pictured the king coming and purifying the people, purifying the land so that only the righteous ones of God existed, so that it was only God's way upon the earth. Now, there's a lot of truth to this, but the way that God understands the meaning of God's way being upon all the land is much different than the people's. So when Jesus comes and starts talking about the kingdom and the kingdom coming through him and then starts doing the things that he's doing in the gospel account up to this point, people are finding their expectations not met fully. We even find John the Baptist asking Jesus, are you the one? Because you're not meeting my expectations. So the expectation was that He would rid the land of the Romans, that he would cast out 
all the sinners, the tax collectors, all the people that weren't purifying themselves. And instead, what Jesus is doing is bringing the outsider in. He's doing miracles for the Roman centurion. He's touching the lepers. He's eating with the sinners. He's doing all the things that went against the expectation. So is he really the Messiah if he's not doing what they expect? So we see this thinking everywhere, not just with John the Baptist, but the Pharisees, the chief priests, and then many people that come to him are just confused by what he's doing. We can interpret many of the prophetic passages to support the idea that Jesus was going to purify everything and kick everyone out. So even scripture seems to not be quite fulfilled, at least as the people understood it. We're in the same boat today. I mean, we all think we have an idea of what's being talked about. The people that I find most comforting are those who say, I just don't understand it. I, and there's an honesty there. There is a lack of expectation and rather a thirst and a yearning to discover and understand, but not by their own ideas, but by God's. And so hopefully we can put ourselves in that place. Now, people from across our Christian history have misused parables, particularly the one we're gonna talk about today, because it's about the wheat and the tares, or the wheat and the weeds, you may have heard it presented that way. So we've had people that take this idea that judgment's coming, that there, there's definitely evil that needs to be bundled up and, and cast out, and people have gone to war. People have hunted down and killed heretics. People have created violence within their own community, their own church, because people decided that their expectations of what God's judgment would be was so certain that they could go ahead and, and act it out the way they felt it should be acted out. And we find that happening today. We're still having arguments about who belongs and doesn't belong at church. We're, we're fighting the same fight. And so this parable sometimes goes on to aid that fight. But friends, I'm gonna invite you to hear the parable with fresh ears and ask the question, what was Jesus trying to communicate with the parable? What was Jesus in Jesus' day trying to communicate to the people in front of Jesus? What was the gospel writer thinking that this parable was communicating to the audience to which they wrote? They, the gospel author we call Matthew compiled all these parables all in chapter 13 and then presents them in a particular way. There was some story in the gospel beforehand. There's story that continues after so why here? Why the parables here? What do the parables have to say about the setting in which they lie between chapters 12 and 14? What are the parables communicating in its own context, in its own story, in its own day to its own audience? If we start there, we have a good shot at at least hearing the parable with our ears. Now, in all these parables, it's all about the reign of God. All the parables are about the reign of God or the kingdom of God, if you're used to hearing it that way. That we should be able to walk away from hearing a parable and understand that it has something to do with the kingdom of God. Now, we may walk away and find ourselves feeling like it's more concealed because we came with our expectations or it's more revealed because we came with an honest and open heart. But we should know that we are coming here to understand something about the reign of God. Now, in chapter 13, there are several parables. So not any one of them gives us the whole story. We need 
all of them, somehow all of them give us a different element of the reign of God to focus on. And then somehow all the stories together give us an image. And some often describe that image in the same way we talk about scripture. Uh, There's an ancient Jewish way to understand that it's like a, a beautiful gem. Imagine a large gemstone, maybe the most beautiful diamond. And we hold it up to the light and we consider what we see and the beauty that it presents. But as we turn the gem, it continues to reveal its beauty in new ways. And so the scripture is often regarded in this way, that we turn it, we see it from different perspectives in different light and it reveals different things at different times. There's the one meaning, but it can impact us in different ways. So the kingdom seems to be presented in these different lights through these different parables, each one revealing something. And so Jesus uses the parables and and they're all based around trade work of Jesus' day. So there were farmers, fishermen, they were mothers and fathers, they were all there. So Jesus is using images that they all know that maybe are a little foreign to us. We may know what farmers are, but farming then was much different than it is now. So we kind of have a challenge. And so let's uh, let's just recount what happened last week. Last week was the parable of the farmer. the, the farmer sows seed everywhere, even though a majority of the seed is not going to be fruitful. It's not going to produce a harvest. And there's different reasons for that. And, and revisit that parable from the beginning of the chapter. But the ones that do produce a harvest do so in such a, such a miraculous fashion, far beyond any expectation. So the kingdom, although it is sown everywhere in not received in the majority of space. When it is received, it produces a bounty of life far beyond what we could have expected. And so we move into Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 through 30, and then 36 through 43. And the reason for the gap is the parable is told, and then a couple more smaller parables, and then an interpretation of that parable is given. So we're just gonna put those together, and then we'll come to the middle of the sandwich, so to speak, next week, and we'll talk about those parables. So for now, we'll turn to the parable of the wheat and the tares. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like someone who planted good seed in his field. While people were sleeping, an enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat and went away. When the stalks sprouted and bore grain, then the weeds also appeared. The servants of the landowner came and said to him, Master, didn't you plant good seed in your field? Then how is it that it has weeds? An enemy has done this, he answered. The servant said to him, Do you want us to go and gather them? But the landowner said, No, because if you gather the weeds, you'll pull up the wheat along with them. Let both grow side by side until the harvest. And at harvest time, I'll say to the harvesters, First gather the weeds and tie them together in bundles to be burned, but bring the wheat into my barn. Jesus left the crowds and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. Jesus replied, the one who plants the good seed is the human one. The field is the world and the good seeds are the followers of the kingdom. But the weeds are the followers of the evil one. The enemy who planted them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the present age. 
The harvesters are the angels. Just as people gather weeds and burn them in the fire, so it will be at the end of the present age. The human one will send his angels. They will gather out of his kingdom all things that cause people to fall away and all people who sin. He will throw them into a burning furnace. People there will be weeping and grinding their teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their father's kingdom. Those who have ears should hear. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So understanding what the wheat and the weeds, because you might say, what, are, what, what should we be picturing here? And you picture a large field, and a terror, this particular Greek word refers to a particular weed, not like a dandelion or, or any of the weeds we might find, you know, thistle, that kind of thing. The, this particular weed looks very similar to wheat, very similar. In fact, you're talking millimeters difference in the size of the grain, the size of the stalk, but other than that, they look very similar. And you might not recognize the difference right away. In fact, oftentimes the best way to recognize truly is to crack open the grains and to see the color of the seed. The color of the seeds are different. And if you were to you know, harvest all of it and put it together into one harvest, the bad seed would actually spoil the whole grain. And the way that these particular weeds worked is you had the wheat growing with its roots, if you were to imagine my fingers as roots, and then the weeds kind of wrap around and, and, and become one with the roots of the wheat, which is why if you pull one, you're gonna pull the other. And even if you could go out at the right time before the roots are fully developed, you're gonna be pulling up a lot of wheat too. So, there are two main features of this parable that we're gonna focus on. One is that evil exists in the world even though the reign of God has begun in Jesus. And then two, understanding that the full consummation of God's reign will occur and all evil will be separated from the new creation. And so we begin with this first one. We know that the reign of God has come in Jesus Christ. We know this because Jesus told us this and the whole church has been founded upon that truth. Jesus then empowered the disciples. He already in the story has empowered the disciples to go and sow the seed of the kingdom to go and preach the good news, to ask people to change their expectation, to repent from their other way of, of selfish seeking or their own expectation and instead turn and believe the good news that the kingdom is now present among them. Now, there has been conflict in the story with good and evil to, to give proof to the presence of the kingdom. Demons have been casted out. People have been healed. They've been made whole. Sight has been given to the blind, the deaf are hearing, the lame are walking, the dead are being raised up. All these things that Jesus has just told us in chapter 12 about proof that, yeah, I'm the one. <laughs> Good news is being preached to the poor in spirit. Reconciliation is occurring between God and sinners. The kingdom's there. So why is there still evil present? Why is Rome? still in charge? Why are empires still allowed to rule and reign and even commandeer the name God and inflict great violence and horror among the people of the world, both then and now? Why is this allowed to happen? Didn't Jesus die on the cross and conquer evil? Why is evil still at work? Why are we dealing with disease and virus? If the kingdom of God has arrived, then what is happening? Why is there racism 
Why are entire systems of racism thriving right in our community? Why is there still presence of people vying for power at the expense of the most vulnerable? Why are people experiencing pain and death? Why is there so much hatred and violence and physical abuse and verbal abuse and sexual abuse everywhere we look? And we can look around the homes around us, we can look around our community, we can look around our nation, we can look around the world. Evil is very much here. Even Christian to Christian, there is violence and abuse occurring. So what's happening? If Jesus is bringing the word of God, the, the reign of God, then why is Rome still here? Why is evil still happening? Why are we still dealing with it today? These are the kinds of questions that people were asking. Jesus says he's the Messiah, but why isn't he doing what we expect the Messiah to do? Is it time for us to do something about this? Right? We as, as the people of God, that's the questions they ask, it's the questions we still hear people ask today. Some people were listening to Jesus with sword in hand, ready to go to war against Rome. And eventually they did. It didn't go well. Time and time again, people in Jesus' day and ours remove the mantle from God of judgment and put it on ourselves because we're so sure that we can do it right. And every single time, it goes horribly, horribly wrong. It not only inflicts death and destruction among the people that we determine are the ones that need to be judged, but it actually robs our own souls of life. When we dehumanize others, when we refer to other people as animals, we're actually dehumanizing ourselves as well. We're saying no to the God-given image that's within us. We deny it in someone else. We're denying it within ourselves as well. So it wasn't just Jewish revolutionaries in Jesus' day. It was the religious elite in Jesus' day. There have been many stories across our history as a church. We have the Crusades, the Spanish Inquisition, times when great violence was inflicted upon people that didn't believe or that people that were Muslim, or there has been wars started over the idea that it is our job to rid the world of these evil people. Manifest destiny, it is our land. We have a right, God wants us to be here and wipe out an entire culture, many dozens, hundreds of cultures of indigenous people to claim land for ourselves. Murder happens today because people think that they have the right to judge. We exclude, right here in the church, we exclude people based on race, based on gender, based on sexual identity, based on age, based on politics. We've done it in our history. We do it still today. On and on we go. We think it's our job to judge and to execute God's judgment. But this parable offers a different story. Don't pull them up. No, the harvest will come. But it's going to be God and God's angels that do the reaping. The judgment's coming, and that brings us to our second point. The full consummation of the reign of God is coming, and there will be judgment. That much is clear in this parable. That's the second main point. Evil does exist, yes, but that doesn't mean the kingdom doesn't exist. One day, the kingdom will be complete. So it's as if Jesus began the kingdom, ushered in its beginning, 
And so you could say yes to the reign of God, be a part of the kingdom of God, and one day the reign of God will be everywhere and there will be nothing but the reign of God, but we're in this in-between period. There's going to be a judgment. There was in Jesus' day and there is in ours as well. So it's happening, but it hasn't fully happened. So in Jesus' day, he's judging Israel as it has built itself to be and how it's operating. He's judging the temple, which ends up being destroyed. He judges the way of fighting and violence, which when they go to war with Rome, they lose and get annihilated. You see, their way is judged in Jesus, just after Jesus' day. In 70 AD, Jerusalem's been destroyed. The temple is gone, never to be rebuilt. And that whole way of life ceased to be at that time. God had something different in mind. They said no. They chose their own way, the way of the world, the way of violence, to live by the sword, which means they die by the sword. And, and we've seen that story play out again and again. One day, everything will be set right. We know this. That's what the cross has assured us of. The resurrection has cemented this truth, this promise. All creation will be under the reign of God fully one day. We're in the birth pangs, as Paul said. It's happening, but it hasn't fully happened yet. Now, it began in Jesus' day, it continues in ours, and a popular image of this is the, the great banquet table. That one day we will sit at the great banquet table because when a kingdom is fully established, all that are a part of the kingdom come to a banquet to honor the king and to celebrate the kingdom itself. So one day, if we take this metaphor, we're going to be invited to the table, those of us who have said yes. But at the table, where we will drink with Jesus from the cup in the new kingdom, there, it will be full of people that we least expect. And so you see, a racist person is going to have a hard time sitting down at the table next to people that they judge, next to people that don't look like them. If you're going to come to the table, there are going to be people there that you feel like don't belong. In Jesus' day, they, they thought sinners and the tax collectors don't belong. They thought that the Gentiles don't belong, when in fact they did. In our day, well, we see all sorts of ruckus being held, arguments being had, division occurring over race, over LGBTQ, over age and gender. It, it's, it continues to happen. We haven't... We haven't seen the end of that struggle yet. But one day, you may be invited to sit at the table and there are going to be all sorts of people there you didn't expect to see. And so the judgment will come when you decide whether you can take your seat, whether you have opened yourself to all that the kingdom may offer, that God's judgment may look different than your own. We have a choice. Are we willing to prepare ourselves to sit with whoever is there? Are our hearts ready for the scandal of the reign of God? Are our souls ready to embrace the endless grace of God fully revealed to us in Jesus Christ upon that cross? How about right now? Are we ready to do this right now, long before the table may be set? When we come to communion, we are envisioning the day that we sit at that table by enacting the table today. 
Are you comfortable with everyone that might be partaking? Are you able to refrain from yanking and pulling on what you perceive to be weeds when you end up doing more damage in the process? Are we clearly recognizing the evil around us? Are we preparing ourselves for God's judgment, for what God labels as evil? Or do we prefer to keep the mantle upon ourselves? The Holy Spirit, friends, is given to us through Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit nurtures us into growth, into the kind of growth that is miraculous even amidst the evil around us. The Holy Spirit brings the kingdom to us while evil persists in its existence right now. We are invited to grow into the reality of the kingdom of God, the reign of God, even in the midst of evil, even in the midst of our own struggles. We are given the seed of hope of the kingdom, which cannot be destroyed. And we're invited to let that seed take hold, to mature and grow, to become more a part of our life in every way as we let go of what was before and cling to what God is bringing us here and now. We don't need to fixate on what we think the end product of ourselves or each other or this world is going to look like. If we fixate too hard, what we're doing is putting the mantle on ourselves. It is going to destroy us in our effort to uproot the weeds around us. It will be our downfall. Trust in God, friends. Invite the Holy Spirit to grow the kingdom within your own life, that you may be a faithful worker who sows and doesn't try to be the one to reap. Let the angels of God reap whatever that looks like. Where is God calling you to grow this day? Where is God calling you to recognize the evil within yourself? Where is God calling you to embrace the good that can replace that which needs to be replaced in our lives, in our habits, in our thoughts, in our character? Where can grace be at work in your heart? And if you think, I don't know, then maybe ask the question, what in my heart Am I unwilling to let God work with? What's too much for me? Where am I not willing to let God take me? Let the judgment, the good work of judgment, begin now. God will lead you. And one day, all will be set right. Judgment will be had and the world will be as it was supposed to be. And we can be a part of that, friends and all of the unexpected grace and wonder of it, we can celebrate with Jesus Christ. Let those who have ears to hear, hear. Amen. We thank you for joining us today. And it is our hope that you have experienced the blessing of God through our time together. If you'd like to know more about our church community and its ministries, visit our website at sellersburgumc.com.